Welcome to the American University of Beirut. I'm Rami Khouri, journalist in residence at AUB, and this is Professors at Work, a weekly program where we interview AUB professors and researchers to hear what they're doing in terms of their research, what they're learning, why they're doing this research, and what it means to our world. We're delighted to have as our guest today, Dr. Brigitte Khouri, who is a clinical psychologist in the psychiatry department of the AUB Medical Center and associate professor as well. Dr. Khouri, welcome. Thank you. Happy uh, to be here. Thank you. Well, you've done a lot of different things over the years uh, related to psychiatry and, um, and refugees and youth and women and different things. So tell us about your current research work that you're doing that focuses on the, uh, the, the psychosocial condition of refugees and you're actually going beyond research to actually doing a kind of intervention to, to try to help them. So tell us why you chose that topic. Well, actually, I was approached in 2013 by the UNFPA, which was, you know, a couple of years after the Syrian war started and when we had the influx of refugees. And they approached me saying, you know, we need to do something with refugee women. We need to give them some sort of mental health support, psychological support. And so I was thinking, you know, what can we do that would be helpful and culturally appropriate and accepted that is not, you know, too medicalized? And years before, we had conducted a research uh, in collaboration with the Faculty of Health Sciences, which was back then uh, geared towards women in the southern suburb of Beirut. Uh, and it was they had done a study and they had found that most of them had medical complaints that were unexplained, but those that did had a high rate of depression and anxiety. So back then, we did a group intervention with the women um, it was a 12-week intervention, and uh, lo and behold, after that, the depression and anxiety decreased. So I thought that would be a nice thing to do with the refugees. It's, we already had done it with women previously, it had worked. Um, it's a group format, so it's less intimidating, it's more sharing and more acceptable. So we did that, um, and um, they were recruited from all over the country. So what I, my role was to actually train social workers and community workers into giving this intervention. It's very basic. It's called a, a psychosocial skills building. And what we do is basically we teach them how to build skills to manage better their mental health. Stress or depression or what? Exactly. Stress, depression, anxiety, even relationship issues, even uh, parent-child issues. And it, it's, we teach them it's five steps. You know, basically, the first thing, identify the problem. The second thing, divide the problem into specific tasks. Third thing, find the solution to every task. Number four, apply the solution. Number five, evaluate it. The problem, as you call it, is... They decide. They, yeah, they tell you what the problem yes, is. Yes, they decide. So we, we, so we train the social workers and the community workers. And it's a three-month intervention, once a week. It's a group. So they went to their centers and they recruited women and it started. And uh, the aim was to have community hosts, so also Lebanese as well as Syrians. In some areas it worked to have mixed groups, in other areas it didn't, depending to political issues and, you know, personal issues and etc. Um, and the, the, the results we had were, were amazing. The first time we did that, of course it wasn't a research, it was an intervention, but the feedback we got from the participants and the workers themselves were very, very positive. Uh, and then UNFPA said, okay, let's do another, you know, so we did actually four times the training 
We trained over 100 workers, health workers, to do these groups. Each two would do a group. So we actually reached, you know, thousands of women because it was part of also capacity building and training these workers in Akkar and in the Bekan in the south, you know, training them to provide this as a continuous service. So they, the workers, once trained and having done the intervention with you, they can then do it on their own. Exactly. That was the whole aim. Yeah. And the, and the intervention at some point led you to do some research. Yes. So, so the second time I thought, you know, being, you know, an academician, I thought, let's get some numbers. I mean, the qualitative feedback was very good. So we gave, you know, a depression anxiety measure pre and post. And the numbers also were very, very good. Um, you know, what started with severe and moderate anxiety and depression after three months were normal levels, wow. uh, which, was, which was amazing. And so all they, now what's interesting though, I think it's not only the intervention that helped. There was also a, if you want, like a hidden factor, which was the, the group itself. Uh -huh. So the group of women gelled together and they became each other's support. And they did not want to stop actually. After the, the, the groups, they wanted to continue. And some of them did. They became friends, they had, you know, subhiyat, and they became a support group for each other. And this was a major, major factor, I think. And this is kind of, and almost it's kind of common sense that people can take care of themselves if they know how to do it. Absolutely. Especially when they started comparing and realizing that they all had the same problems, very similar problems. And each one is not only the only one feeling down and feeling bad. And, um, now, what's interesting, the, you would think that the problems they would talk about are related to war and trauma. Not at all. Wow. It was, it was really focused on day-to-day -day life. It was about, you know, livelihood, about the papers, about the, the, you know, the mother-in-law that's driving them crazy because they're in close quarters, the kids that are failing in school, you know, the husband that is violent sometimes, or the worry about the man left behind. So it wasn't really related to the war as much as we expected, but it was about the daily life. And that was, I think, more important to them. And most of the refugees you were engaged with were in kind of uh, settlements or refugee camps or informal communities? Informal communities. I wouldn't say camps. Yeah, I mean, we don't really have camps, but they were in informal communities in specific locations. And it was through health centers of the Ministry of Health or Ministry of Social Affairs. Uh, so they would approach these centers for health related issues. And then we offered also the mental health support. And what's the consequence of this research now uh, in terms of expanding it or new interventions? What have yeah, you so we, so we did. I mean, we expanded it as much as possible in terms of women. And uh, the UN wanted to make it as a kind of a, specify, a specific intervention for all refugees. So having a kit ready uh, for, you know, health workers to take, get trained in, and then do them. So then, of course, a few years later, and that was about three years ago, they approached me and they said, you know, we need to do something with men. And I said, yes. So the, because the UNFPA mandate was for children and women. But then they realized that they have to add men because you cannot have, you know, a healthy family without men's health. So we adapted the intervention to men. We had only one bout of intervention, one experience, which was a pilot. And that was very interesting. The, well, first, the difficulty to work with men was quite tough. It was more challenging? 
much more challenging. Recruiting men was very difficult. The timing. One of the issues that the women never, never mentioned is payment, for example. Men wanted to be paid <laughs> at least transportation fees. Yes. Which we, you know, we had to negotiate with UNFPA again. For the women, for example, the UN had said at the end of the group we will give them uh, what they call a health kit, which is like a pouch with, you know, like uh, creams and cologne and shampoo and toothbrush. And the women loved it. It was a small pouch. It was the first thing they get for themselves. Wow. Because usually everything they got was for the house or the kids. Yes, they were so happy with it. With the men, we said, we will give you a health kit. And they were like, what are you going to give us? Like toothbrushes? And no, <laughs> we <laughs> So that was, I mean, negotiating the terms was very interesting. Yes. Um, and of course, we weren't going to pay them a salary, but we did, we did, you know, offer the participants transportation fees. Uh-huh. And then the other challenge was that the health workers and communities are mostly women. So we wanted the groups to be run by men. So we got men, Syrian men from the communities who also were volunteering in other communities, in, in NGOs. We trained these Syrian men to provide the intervention. Uh, and all of them were educated. They all had at least a BA um, in, in arts or literature or psychology even, or law. Um, and they couldn't work in Lebanon, so we trained them and uh, you know, they gave the intervention. So it was, it was, it was, it was interesting. Of course, the, the men, it took them much longer to get together. The initial topics were always kind of, you know, like on the surface, related to jobs or work or paper. But then after four or five sessions, so halfway through, then they really opened up. Yeah. And then what was interesting, what they opened up about was very, very serious. I mean, really like trauma issues, like big conflicts within the family, being estranged from family. I mean, and we were like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is really heavy. And uh, th- that was also a, an interesting difference between, you know, men and women, you know, I, women focusing and understandably so they had to focus on the day-to-day life to run the household and make their living and the men were holding inside a lot of pain that took some time to come out. In your experience what you heard from the women and the men is it particular to men and women Syrian refugees in Lebanon at this time or is this common to people everywhere at all times in stress stress moments? Um, that's an interesting question. I think, I think it would be common to many, many refugees, populations and communities. Uh, I exchanged, I mean, I presented it clearly in conferences and we had a lot of exchanges with colleagues, for example, who worked in the US with refugees. Um, those who worked with Syrian refugees had similar experiences. Those who worked, for example, with African refugees it was a bit different. Um, there was a lot more trauma to be talked about, but there was also a lot more resistance. Um, and it had to do a lot with also the communities they were in. Uh, so the, I think there is a certain commonality, uh, and the research also has shown it, and the, let- the literature, that the day-to-day stressors can be as taxing and as impactful as the war traumas and and also the war traumas are not something that people talk about immediately. Once they feel they are secure, and I always say that for immigrants and refugees, once they are in their host countries and really in an immigrant status and secure, then the clinical impact comes out and the traumas. As long as they're still 
getting settled, they're still in transition, right. this is not the time for them to talk about it. Right. And in terms of the interventions, yeah. uh, what have you learned through your work that might be applicable to other situations? That groups are very impactful, that we don't need to do, you know, the traditional one-on-one -on -one individual sessions, which are westernized, you know, this is more a western model, while, you know, for us, groups work very well, social support is very important, uh, you know, having people together, sharing things together, and it's also time efficient and cost efficient, so it's, it's and, you know, easy to train people on it. Especially simple intervention, nothing, nothing too complex. And the interventions you did, the people you trained, the experience you got, can it now continue on its own momentum or do you still need to be involved? Um, for, for the men, now we, we're, gonna, we're expanding it because we did the first trial was only in Beirut. So now we want to expand it a bit further. I'm looking for funding actually. <laughs> expand it in, in rural areas because that would be a different, I think, type of population that we might capture. Here they were a bit more educated, they were younger, a lot of them were in universities or working. Uh, in rural areas, it would be maybe a different type of, of men. But still refugees? or Still refugees. Okay. Still refugees, yeah. Uh, for the women, yes, I mean, absolutely, the centers are running the groups, and, you know, I'm hoping that more and more people are benefiting. And is there uh, any thinking towards mainstreaming this into existing institutions like schools or health centers so that people can pick up on signs of distress early and deal with them? You mean for children, children who are refugees? Children, but also, you know, women, people go to medical centers. Sure, I mean, th these are interventions that already existed. Uh, uh, the, the key of that is that to be in a community, in, in, a, in a more or less closed community that are going through the same thing. It would definitely work for Lebanese, for example, you know, also, uh, you know, lower socioeconomic and, you know, who need some support, absolutely. These can be offered in all health centers, in all community centers. Uh, and did the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, add an extra level of stress that you identified or not necessarily? Yeah, we, well, when the pandemic started, we had just finished with our groups, so uh, and we couldn't any, anyway continue with that. But of course, I think it added, you know, an, an additional stressor and uh, additional fears. And I really don't think that the refugee population's needs were really addressed during the pandemic. We didn't hear much about it. Uh, there were fears that it would spread, but that's it. I mean, I don't think people went into, you know, uh, these settlements and, and talked with... Maybe now they will, I don't know. But mm -hmm. uh, I think, there's, yeah, they didn't get the service needed for mm -hmm. sure. And how can your research and your experience, the intervention experience and the new knowledge you've gained and you're still gaining, how can this actually help the world, other people, other well, situations? Well, I mean, sure. I mean, it's, you know, I, I presented it in several conferences. I wrote it in papers. Uh, there's, a, there's a handbook of um, psychology and social justice that came out from uh, the, Cam the Cambridge, uh, it's called the Cambridge Handbook, actually. And there's a chapter in it where I talked about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think spreading uh, the knowledge, spreading the, re the, the research, collaborating. I have a lot of interest from other people outside to collaborate and replicate possibly the model. They want, you know, mm -hmm. the, the modules and the sessions, how they're done. So this is definitely, I think, one way of, uh, you know, of, of dealing with it, especially for men, because for men there are hardly any interventions. 
Really? A lot of the services are given for women and children. Yes. So men have been more or less forgotten until recently. Now they're you know, trying to, to service them more. But proportionately, the refugees are way more men and uh, women and children than, than men. men so, but still, there's a population of, course, of men. Especially yeah. young men. So let me ask you about two linkages from your research. One is with other departments at AUB, mm-hmm. and one is with public policymakers. Yeah. So the first one, uh, f- have you found that these kinds of studies and interventions can be done even more efficiently if you link with people in anthropology and economics and environment and water and whatever? We, I mean, we have. I have collaborated many times with especially faculty of health sciences, other departments uh, in medicine, like family medicine, and now we're doing something with oncology. So, yes, of course, I mean, the more expertise, the, the, the better it is. Um, with health policy, um, I work very closely with the National Mental Health Program at the Ministry of Health. They, I mean, they also have their own challenges, but it's very interesting. I think that the jump from application and research to making it health policy is not easy. It still takes work. Uh, it takes a lot of personal contacts and networking. The way the country is being run now or the way what's happening is very, very difficult to start anything or to, but there is definitely an interest for sure. And this is a whole new uh, field of study and action in a way. How do you take knowledge and translate it to policy or interact with policymakers? Which you know we are not trained in universities. Mm. Uh, There are two things I always say we're missing when we're training, uh, you know, psychologists or mental health professionals. Policy work, health policy work and leadership. Leadership. These are two things that somehow are not part of the curriculum. Leadership in which sense? In all senses. And, you know, uh, starting from, uh, you know, uh, especially for women, actually, stepping into leadership positions, speaking up, putting a vision, uh, uh, making change, you know, positive change on many levels, educational, training, service. I mean, I had to really learn it after my PhD. You know, I enrolled in a there's something called the Institutes for Women in Psychology and Leadership. So it was two years of going back and forth too. And it's, it's, it's not easy. It's something, again, that you have a lot of potential. I see it in students and trainees that just need to be fostered more. Right. And last question, uh, what are you going to do next in terms of research and intervention? Well, n- the next step now is to expand the men's intervention into more rural areas and getting more, uh, you know, information about uh, how that works, what are also the concerns that they might be having in a, you know, less um, educated, possibly, population and maybe older also for men. And, you know, continue training the health workers as much as possible to keep providing these services. Hopefully after COVID-19 is kind of passed, we can go back to being together and not doing things online, because that's also a challenge. Yeah, of course. I mean, expecting refugees to have internet access, and you know, we cannot. Yeah, it's so, tricky. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, given the situation in the Middle East, there's, there are and there will be more refugees for many years, it seems. So these kinds of interventions are very timely and very useful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Professor Brigitte Khoury from the Department of Psychiatry um, at AUB. Thank you, Rami. It's a pleasure to be here. We learned a lot and we'll keep following what you do. Thank Thank you. you.